0: Welcome to VIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kurt Point publisher and editor-in-chief. Um, so you might have been aware there was an election in this country that ended last night. Well, actually, it didn't really end last night. We're still getting some mail-in ballots counted, and so there could be up to a dozen ridings that shift around in the next couple of days. But it's time for us to take a first look at the federal election aftermath. And for that, we call again upon Mario canseco president of research co it's a public research firm he writes for us here at biB and glacier twice weekly as part of his work and conducts public opinion surveys of course to gauge the landscape good to see you good to see you too um we're uh, it's a bit of a time time traveling right we we were here five weeks ago I think talking about um, this in exactly the same space pretty well the same number of MPs in the same seats um what was accomplished by this election do you think
1: well, nothing much. I mean, when you look at the actual numbers, it's still a minority government. There's no embrace of the pandemic management of Justin Trudeau uh, that enables him to have a majority. Uh, there's also not embrace of the leadership of O'Toole, which in, which allows him to have more seats. We continue to see the NDP doing very well in the middle of the campaign and then dropping at the end. Uh, not a lot of new faces on the NDP caucus either. Uh, The Bloc doing a little bit better than in the last election as far as voting. The Greens completely decimated in a way. Um, And the People's Party becoming the repository of a lot of people who are upset with the status quo on vaccinations. Uh, But it remains to be seen whether we do this again in 18 months or a couple of years, where those voters who are upset with the system will go.
0: Yeah, let's go right away to the durability of this minority government because Nobody thought that the last minority government was in any way imperiled, there didn't seem to be any impediment to legislation, The leaders didn't seem to be rancorous, they were trying to work together. I think Erin uh, O'Toole called it the Team Canada approach on the on the pandemic, um, but um, does Justin Trudeau try to preserve this one for three or four years?
1: I think it's necessary. And you know, listening to the speeches last night, um, it doesn't seem like anybody has uh, any inclination of leaving their posts. Erin uh, O'Toole essentially said, I'm here for the long run. Uh, there's, there was no hesitation about what he wants to do. Uh, Mit Singh as well with the idea of working with people, trying to figure out if they can get a deal out of the liberals to sustain the government. So it's going to have to happen. Um, I I think part of the difficulty now is going to be um, how the government looks. You know, there's three ministers who didn't win their seats and not major ministers, mind you, uh, but there's definitely a little bit of movement there. And uh, there might be an opportunity for some people from British Columbia to join the cabinet. So I think there's the government uh, to try to connect with uh, Canadians and to essentially Make sure that the concerns of the people who didn't vote for the Liberal Party are addressed. Uh, I think that is going to go a long way to ensure that the government lasts uh, more than two years. Uh, and also, you know, there's no real situation now where the knives are out. You know, we, we're not going to see any cabinet ministers within the next few months thinking that they could do a better job that, than Justin Trudeau did in, in winning this election. Um, the favorability that he has in certain parts of the country enables him to be competitive in a place like Vancouver-Granville and to have a candidate uh, who had his own Me Too situation to actually get elected. So it's uh, there's a lot of this that has to do with the leader, and there's nobody else in the cabinet who could compete with that.
0: Yeah, to make clear, the Me Too candidate was not here in Vancouver-Granville. It was no. in Ontario, but <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the Grand Vancouver candidate uh, had his own troubles. Now, the the issue, though, for Trudeau is, I mean, this was a bit of a vanity play, right? This was uh, opportunism. Um, uh, you know, it's textbook opportunism in politics in this case, but he nearly destroyed the party. Um, does he not pay any kind of a price for this?
1: Uh, there has to be. I think there will be a lot of discussions about uh, why this was the right moment to do this. Uh, you know, there's a parallel universe in a way where Kabul doesn't fall until two weeks after, and then they could lose this election. If we have the opportunity for uh, Erin O'Toole to connect on the foreign affairs file closer to the election, then this happens. There's another parallel universe where Jason Kenney decides not to say that Alberta is decimated by the COVID-19 pandemic until two weeks after the election. So the timing is crucial in these things. And the timing seemed to be perfect to call this at the time when it was done. Uh, but it's certainly not what a lot of people expected. Uh, You know, here we have Justin Trudeau, this is one way of reading it, for the second consecutive election, getting a lower number of votes than the conservatives. So the idea of saying no to electoral reform and finding some sort of process to allow people to be elected by representation of the entire country um, wasn't against the NDP or the Greens, you know, at this stage with the guidelines that he wanted to have in place. He would not have had the first chance to form a government twice in a row.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting, right? I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why, even though people saw uh, a liberal imperpetuity governments, um, he, did, he decided not to pursue this. It still comes with a high risk. Uh, what I what I wonder about though uh, with with Justin Trudeau is for the first time he ran against some Canadians. He actually he vilified people that were not getting vaccinated uh, in ways that builds, um, builds a bit of a cohort that really now feels that the prime minister isn't caring about them, isn't understanding them. Those types of things tend to accumulate over the course of your lifespan as a politician and can sometimes become baggage that's just too heavy for you to carry. And so I, I again wonder whether Justin Trudeau thinks at some point, perhaps two and a half, three years into a mandate of this one, that this isn't worth another a fourth fight for him, that he, that he doesn't want to lose and be humiliated as he almost was, as he yeah. would have
1: been two weeks ago well it's complicated you know one of the reasons for this is that in the final stages of the campaign he was looking for some sort of punching bag that would allow him to show that type of leadership it happened a little bit in that campaign event where he was uh, scolded by somebody who was nearby uh, it happened in the final moments when he was talking about vaccination rates this makes the people's party voter very upset but as we saw in the election uh, their numbers weren't that great. You know, we had them at five percent or six percent. That's basically what they got. You know, some of the other pollsters who use the phone get different results, and you know that's fine. Uh, but ultimately, this is not a group that was actively commanding the election. And you know, one of the issues here. Uh, is that you're essentially basing a lot of your allegations about how you're going to be running this uh, campaign or the future as a government by focusing on a group that is particularly tiny, but is still part of the unity that you need to show a couple of days after the election is said and done. So it's not going to be easy for him to try to reconnect with this group, uh, particularly because of the way he behaved in the final stages.
0: I I wonder uh, whether he has, though, a very large role
1: to minister to
0: Alberta and minister very quickly, that.
1: It's necessary, uh, you know, we, we went through the same process a couple of years ago. Uh, the notion of a divided nation where the conservatives were going to do very well in three provinces, a little bit better in another one and not really climb the charts in Quebec or in Ontario. In a way, the map looks very similar to what we had the last time. And I think there's definitely a need to try to have that olive branch. What better opportunity than what we see happening in Alberta at this stage, where the premier is nowhere to be seen, where people are starting to be really upset and where his pandemic management is endorsed by just over one in five people. I mean, these are numbers that do not belong in a country like Canada, but this is what we have in Alberta, and it certainly presents an opportunity for the federal government to say, we're going to save you, and we're going to do this in the spirit of national unity, not in the sense of here we are extending the hand to Jason Kenney, who definitely mismanaged this in a way that is unfathomable.
0: So again, if we look back about but two weeks ago, Mario, we would say that Erin O'Toole was perhaps about to become the prime minister of the country. How did he snatch defeat from the jaws of victory?
1: I think there was a, a lack of ability to connect on something that wasn't foreign affairs. You know, We saw the numbers tighten because of Afghanistan, because it enabled him to look prime ministerial, to be in the studio and to talk about how he would have done things differently because of the fact that he was a soldier and he knew what he was talking about. There was nothing like that on the issues that people... Are, ultimately voted for. Um, He didn't connect on housing, which is important, in Toronto, which was painted red again, and also in Metro Vancouver, where they didn't win a lot of seats. Uh, Definitely problematic because he didn't connect there. The healthcare debate once again became the issue of the two-tier system. It was almost like we were running the the, uh, 2000 campaign again. So he couldn't really uh, connect on that file either. And he didn't connect well on economic management. You know, even though we saw a lot of Canadians who looked at him as a better financial manager than Justin Trudeau, uh, it didn't enable him to go where they needed to go, particularly with women. So you have that, no emotional connection on issues and also a gender gap. You're not going to get to the level that you need in order to win the seats that would allow you to form the government.
0: How hazardous was it in the end, do you think, Mario, for him to move the party more and more toward the center what what did it do and not do for him and for the party's own power
1: well what you're looking for in a situation like this and i think we can go back to the 2006 election for this analysis is you're looking for liberal voters who are disenchanted and are looking at the conservatives as an option they would support we didn't see that in this election what we saw was people who, become, who became disenchanted with the conservatives and looked at the PPC as an option. But now, that being said, a lot of the voters that supported the PPC um, were new, uh, or you know, people who were upset with things. Protest vote that usually goes to uh, the Green Party ended up going to uh, Maxine Bernier. So it's not enough. I mean, there's a way to look into the data which would suggest that if you have the People's Party vote staying with the conservatives, they would have a, a massive victory. But it, I, I just don't think it's that simple. There's a lot of people who gravitated towards the new option uh, because they were upset with the way things were going, not necessarily because they were conservative voters who were upset at the way Erin O'Toole was managing things. So it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You try to get the liberal voters to look at you seriously, but you also need to make sure that they don't look at other parties which are more fringy, like the People's Party, and, and say, you know, we are sending a message by voting for somebody who has no chance of winning.
0: Um, well, a couple of years ago, Jagmeet Singh was almost given up for dad as a political leader I mean, I, there was no question that he had had a very very rough first year or so as an ndp leader He's, he, his political career was salvaged on the basis of having a minority government and here we are again with another minority government how strongly can jagmeet singh now play his hand in the next parliament
1: I guess it depends on what type of arrangement is reached. Uh, we're not having the same situation that we saw in the United Kingdom, for instance, when David Cameron and the Liberal Democrats formed the government. You know, there is no surge for the NDP that is comparable to what Nick Clegg did with the Liberal Democrats. So the notion of an actual agreement uh, is not really going to be entertained. Now, there could be a situation where the NDP says, we have these five things that we want to do. Give us three of them. And we can strike a deal similar to the one that the BC NDP had with the BC Greens, and we won't topple you for a couple of years and we'll see what happens. That is one way in which he can salvage this. But ultimately, we need to look at this as a very localized party. You know, they did well in places in BC where they usually do well. They're back in second place when it comes to the actual number of votes, which is usual for this province in this century with the exemption of 2015 and 2019, uh, but you know, you're know you not getting anywhere in Ontario, you only got one seat in Quebec and less than 10% of the vote. This is not a national party and this is something that needs to be considered. What is happening with the leadership of the party that is making the numbers stagnant in most areas of Canada?
0: Uh, logically speaking, back in 2015, you would have said that perhaps one of the alliances that might emerge out of all of this would be the NDP with the Greens whoa, what a difference a few years makes in the Green Party. Why did it just not find a way to galvanize support around core issues, particularly the environmental ones? The Greens are known
1: worldwide for all. Well, this is a party that is respected amongst the Green Parties for the way in which it communicates, for the way in which it does things. You know, it's definitely different from Green Parties in other parts of the world. Uh, There's a couple of issues that happened even before the election. Of course, we had all of the wrangling about leadership. Uh, but there's something fundamentally wrong when a party under Jim Harris and Elizabeth May can run a full slate and a party under enemy Paul cannot. And this includes many areas of the country. This is, you know, B.C. where they've always run full slates and uh, not having enough candidates, not having enough people who say, I want to put my name forward and be here for this party. Uh, who ends up winning the seats for the Green Party? They get the seat in Kitchener where the liberal candidate has had to be asked to step aside. They win Elizabeth Macy, where she's very well known. Nanaimo Ladysmith is still a bit of a toss-up. Um, but it's definitely not the type of situation that they were expecting. And, and it certainly leads to questions about the uh, validity of the party as a force. You know, they used to be taken more seriously because they ran full slates and they were always participating in in in, in those debates and, and, and in those discussions related to the future, but Uh, This is ironic, you know, they've been outflanked on the environmental file by the liberals, helped in British Columbia, of course, by the endorsement of former BC Green Party leader Andrew Uh, Weaver. So they've lost their bread and butter issue, and this is definitely problematic.
0: Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they were the only ones really offering any kind of a path around uh, tackling climate change. Now there appear to be two, three serious types of paths that Canadians have a selection uh, from. So again, have they lost their raison d'etre?
1: I think so in a way, you know, partly because we have the experience and I think this is something that people who elected Green Party members can relate to, you know, send more people like us and we'll make sure that things work, send more people like us and we'll keep the government into account. And it really hasn't materialized that way. I think there's a sense of dejection if you keep voting for the Green Party and nothing happens and you start looking at other options more seriously. Um, This is definitely troubling. You know, there's areas of the world where you have to establish this type of coalition because of the way the system works. Proportional representation would certainly help the Greens, uh, but it's not the system that we have. And this makes it uh, very dejecting for somebody who decides to vote on environmental matters and consistently sees uh, every four years or every two years, how their candidates finish a distant fourth or fifth.
0: Um, So probably the biggest non-election story this year involved um, tragedy for Indigenous people. Um, And probably the biggest file that greets any government in the next uh, 20 years will involve reconciliation. Why
1: didn't this election talk about either? I think uh, Canadians are still processing this, and I know it might sound strange because many of us are aware of what happened with residential schools, but in our research we've seen that there's uh, many Canadians over the age of 55 who are just waking up to the fact that what they were told in school was not the whole story. Uh, a lot of the people who vote in elections are over 55. The the actual rate of voters is always higher with that group than with others. And that's the group that you're trying to connect. I don't think there was any political capital um, that the leaders wanted to expend uh, by talking about this issue as openly as they probably will in the next few weeks or months. Um, it's a uh, It's uh, definitely a sad situation because this is a story that is very compelling for a lot of Canadians who have been following it. Uh, But it's not the type of thing that can be solved fairly easily. And I think we can go back to the uh, final minutes of the English debate when the topic of reconciliation was being discussed. You know, there's a lot of air, but there's not a lot of actual action attached to it. And I think the the onus is on Canadians to try to talk about this and try to steer clear from the situation of blaming the governments of the past, blaming the Catholic church. It's about investing in what people need right now. And I think um, this is ultimately the way in which you solve some of these issues, not just by pointing to the past.
0: Uh, Last question, and I think it does uh, uh, kind of flow from uh, the question involving indigenous people, which is that the election did reveal a lot of socio-economic fissures, but it also revealed um, a, a pretty dark side among some Canadians around their antipathy toward the institutions of politics and all of this. I want to turn my last question around to the People's Party because, uh, yes, it, uh, it it registered a little bit lower than I think it, it Some people thought it might. Um, It may have cost some seats, particularly for the Conservatives, but maybe not massive numbers, certainly not a difference maker in the election. But here we are today and there are its supporters out there and possibly more who didn't even think it was worth voting, that voting is just a waste of their time. What does any politician, what does any prime minister do now about the revelation that was much more stark in this campaign than ever before of of people that have this sort of bile within them.
1: Well, it certainly speaks to the level of anger that the pandemic has caused. I think uh, all of us have experienced it in different ways. Uh, The type of feedback that we get from people who read our columns, for instance, there is definitely uh, a sense of dismay from many Canadians uh, who probably do not understand how the system operates in many ways, and this is ultimately the type of order that is attracted to fringe parties. You know, you don't know what this means, you don't know what this is. You're going to go out there and vote and be disappointed at the end because you were expecting a win. Um, that is definitely problematic. Now, one of the reasons why we look at this differently is the expectation was, at least for some people that they were going to get to nine or 10% of the vote. But this is a party that started at one and ended at five. This means that one out of every 20 voters is actively supporting a party that did the things that the People's Party did, that said the things that the People Party said. And it's uh, comparable, and I think it's definitely something that is worth mentioning, to the type of parties that do well in places like Sweden or in places like Germany. They also get that one in 20 who say no to everything and no to all of the things that most people around us care about. So those elements have always been there. The thing is, now they found a home. Uh, Some of the time they voted conservative, some of the time they voted green. Now they have a home. And the real key here is, will they find a way to sustain this momentum once the, they no longer have the pandemic, uh, to put it in Nixonian terms, to kick around.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the roster of grievances, the menu of grievances uh, from which you uh, could select if you wished to, uh, to be within the People's Party of Canada was rather vast. What I wonder about is, is there anything there, anything there for a governing party to pick from them? and to usurp so that you thwart growth?
1: Well, part of the anger is related to economic concerns. I think that is definitely one of the reasons that is pushing people to go out there and protest. Uh, If you had a job to go to, if you had a store to open, if you had a situation that you needed to go to and to be at, you probably wouldn't be screaming at healthcare workers outside the hospital. If you focus on solving some of the financial concerns of this group, their fringy views on how the world should be run will probably disappear.
0: Mm. Well, we'll leave it at that uh, because I think that is going to be one of the challenges for Justin Trudeau is how does he find a way to deal with what is a fringe group right now that could very quickly become something that isn't a fringe that is actually a, ser- a serious entity if left unchecked. Always good talking to you, Mario. Um, get some rest. I know you know it's pretty intense time for you, the campaigns, but uh, we'll talk again.
1: Thank you, Craig, uh, Kirk, my, my pleasure. Mario
0: Canseco is president of Research ResearchCo. Uh, it's a public opinion research firm based here in Vancouver. He writes for us at BIB and Glacier a couple times a week. Read we his columns in our paper and online. I'm Kirk LePoint, publisher and editor in chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks for watching.